Okay. Uh, this week's Parsha Mishpatim begins in chapter 21. Uh, now, what's unique in the beginning of the Parsha is that it actually seems out of order. The end of last week's Parsha was the Aseret Adibro, the Ten Commandments, and the giving of the Torah. The end of this week's Parsha is the continuation of that story. And in the midst, we have an insertion of a whole list of seemingly random mitzvahs put together, or even odder, not necessarily mitzvahs, really, but a whole uh, 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 array of, of laws that seem not to be in place right here. So we'll try and address that a little bit. For the uh, first uh, chapter 21, and um, really all the way through um, Chapter twenty, uh, you know, mid midway of twenty two, uh, are social laws, and then midway of twenty two, all the way to um, uh, the end of of well, chapter verse twenty in, in chapter twenty three, are really like political structure laws, and then it goes back into. Um, what was the conversation beforehand? The the ten the the giving of the Torah, the Ten Commandments, and at Shishi we get a promise about the fulfillment of uh, humanity and the fulfillment of the world and the fulfillment of Hashem's promise to us about the land. And then chapter twenty four is the continuation of the giving of the Torah. So really. Uh, it, the end of last week's Parsha, which is the giving of the Torah at Sinai, and the end of this week's Parsha, really continuation. In the middle, we have the insertion of these mishpatim, these um, social structure laws, and the promise of fulfillment um, and uh, of the promise of the land and the fulfillment of each individual person's uh, destiny and ability to live out their, life, their days in fulfillment. So we're going to try and go through um, some or at least a quick list of all of the uh, the, the uh, mishpatim, the social structure laws that we find in this week's parsha, and hopefully make a little bit of sense of them. Also, we uh, hopefully will get to uh, uh, to uh, pay a debt to Kathy and Chris about what is the meaning of kishuf of of. Uh, uh, magic or or black magic uh, etc which was asked about how the egyptians did some what they did and what the meaning is in this week's partial where there is the prohibition against it so let's take a look the pasuk begins chapter 21 1 these are the mishpatim if you would statutes or uh, social structure laws that you will place before them. Rashi points out that the beginning of the parsha begins with an odd word, and these. These, Rashi says, is usually uh, in, in contradistinction to those, to what was, these, separate. And is a connector. So, and these says, this is different, but this too is the same as the other. Very unique introduction. And 
in, and that will give us a hint into what's going on here because we're in the middle of the giving of the Torah. The Ten Commandments are, are stated. Moshe uh, um, uh, comes to the Bnei Yisrael. And at the end of this week's Pasha is a continuation of that where Hashem says, make, you know, tell the people, teach it to them. He teaches to them, gives them the, 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 the Torah in, in writing. And uh, they say, Na'asev and Nishma, we shall do and we shall um, heed or hear. So that's all at the end of this week, Pasha. And then in the middle, we get this idea. And, and here's, it, here's an idea that, that the Torah wants to introduce to us. When we think of the will of Hashem, often we think of, okay, so something spiritual or, um, or, or a particular uh, relationship with the divine. But if we look at the Ten Commandments, besides for the first few, which were as we call them, between the human and Hashem. We have uh, uh, the, the second half, or the last few of the Ten Commandments are really between people, right? Do not murder, no adultery, uh, no, no stealing, kidnapping, false testimony, coveting. And as we mentioned last week, coveting is actually not even between two people because what difference does it make to anybody if I'm jealous of them? It really, the lack, the, the prohibition of coveting is for myself because what does it do to me? It ruins my own self, a sense, a sense of self, of who I am, or what I need, and 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 my dignity, and my value. So it really is 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 negative to the self. Here, the Torah says ve'ela, and these as well, and these two are a part of Torah, a part of your Hashem's perspective of how you should live your life. Social structures, social commandments, social uh, obligations. Where, if we look at these, uh, uh, we could think of them as 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 really not not the purview of religion, not the purview of relationship with Hashem. In fact, for generations, people have mocked the Talmudic study, the Torah study that are done in yeshivas. Right, you're studying about if an ox gores an ox is the is the yeah, uh, the typical mocking of yeshiva studies. Oh, you're learning If an ox gored another ox, who is responsible for what? Come on, that's not Torah. That's not important. You know, one just study something important. But the truth is, the Torah is saying over here this understanding of the structure and the value of the world from the perspective of Hashem is a part of the Torah. It is in the midst of the giving of the Torah, in the midst of Har Sinai, we must understand that all of what relates to the world, if we're going to live a life of, uh, of emulating the ways of Hashem, just as Hashem is gracious and kind and and compassionate, so too we must adopt and learn those attributes. And if we are going to understand how to help people and bring people up, and if that's the mission that we are going to have to create a society and to create a culture and to create a way of life, of bringing people to an elevated state and living ourselves in an elevated state, we must see every aspect of our life as a part of the purview of relationship with Hashem within the view of how, how Hashem sees it. So, 
you will place these before him. And not just place them, bifnehem. Make sure that people not only can state a law, but can internalize the meaning and the basis for that so that the dignity of the self and the dignity of others will be elevated through this. So um, to, to understand this, let, let's take a look at the, the first few sets of laws. The first set of laws pertain to slavery, servitude, indentured servitude. And if you think about it, like if we're going to start with, okay, here's some way to live an elevated life, that's the last one you would pick, right? It's like, the, 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 let's start social justice and social, uh, and, and social way of living with the laws of indentured servitude. But the truth of the matter is, that's precisely what we're trying to do, to try and see the dignity in each person. As Rashi points out from the Talmud, it says over here, if someone gets sold into slavery, when does that happen? If somebody has broken the law, they stole and cannot pay it back. So in our society and for a thousand years in Europe and for longer in other places, so we punish the person either cutting off their hand or locking them up in prison or worse, right? And what does that do? Nothing. It ruins that person gives them no sense of ability to redeem themselves. Uh, they are either now incapable of making money on their own because they're missing a hand, or they've been locked up together with other criminals for long enough that that's all they've learned. So the Torah says, okay, here's what you need to do. This person who's stolen cannot pay back gets to live in a family with obligations to the family. And that person will now learn the reward of, of diligent work of themselves, but it can only last six years. And at the end of six years, they have to be set free. This concept of instead of isolating criminals together with each other so they learn from themselves, from each other, you put them into a family setting, you put them into a structure, you put them into, an, uh, into somewhere where they're going to work to redeem themselves. Give them the opportunity to become dignified people. Elsewhere, not in this passage, when it deals with this again, the Torah says, it will be good for him with you. And as the Talmud says, you have to treat him as you treat yourself. If you have a blanket, he needs a blanket. If he has a, a, a pillow, if you have a pillow, he needs a pillow. That idea of teaching someone the dignity of their, of themselves, but keeping them obligated to making a difference to, to, to sustaining themselves. That's the dignity that the Torah wants to, to even when someone has, has struggled and even when someone, as far as societal norms, we would say they are on the lower rungs. That's where the Torah begins with and says, no, that person needs to be given the opportunities to raise themselves up and the trust to, and the structure to become a, 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 a person within society. And the next one says that if there is a, a, an impoverished girl, and 
she too must have the dignity of marriage where someone would treat her just as they would treat anyone else. She'ira kasusa ba'anasa le'igra, of clothing and food and marital relations must be given to her in the same way that any other woman. And if you can't live up to that, then, then you can't have her as a wife. Uh, these, uh, uh, this tells us that e the beginning of mishpatim is that the lowest, um, the least able to defend themselves, or the the least maybe the least desirable as far as uh, social structure desirables go, right? Uh, we have to elevate them and give them the opportunities to be treated with dignity and to be shown the reward of that treatment of dignity. Then the Torah deals with uh, the manslaughter, someone who kills inadvertently, that we must save that person as well. This is someone who has, uh, who has done perhaps one of the most atrocious things, inadvertently, but has, uh, it seems uh, like you cannot come back from that. That's something that you cannot, uh, uh, you, you cannot redeem yourself from. The Torah says, no, that person must be given uh, protection and must be saved because it was inadvertent. And by contrast, when someone does murder intentionally, willingly, knowingly, that that person does not deserve to continue to live amongst you, even if the person they murdered was a slave. Something that no other society had until maybe until now, right? That you kill someone who is of a lower society, you kill someone who is a slave and you get away with it. Torah says, no, that, that human being is a human as well. And includes with that the dignity of and honor of parents, one who strikes a parent, a curses a parent, or someone who kidnaps, steals another person. This was uh, a, a way of becoming a, a slave was where people would then steal someone and sell them off. And then they their only release was if they would then work enough to re release themselves. So that is tantamount to murder. So again, the, 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 the social structure that the Torah is teaching here is that we have to give each human dignity and give them the opportunity to live up to it. But they can ruin it for themselves if they even uh, kill a slave or even if they strike a slave and injure a slave that too is considered an injury that slave is is then uh, uh, by, by default emancipated even if their own so quote unquote owner hurts them any injury and they uh, uh, and that person doesn't deserve to be in the, 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 if we would, custodian, as we talked about earlier, the responsibility of giving a, a, a person in their servitude an opportunity to grow and become, and become a, a, a responsible person in society, if one mistreats that person, then they are not worthy of that responsibility and that opportunity. Then the, the Torah, we're in 18 now, 2118. People fight. That's not. Uh, that's a given. That struggles happen within a society. But if someone uh, 
uh, kills, uh, injures someone in that in that struggle. They are held responsible. And here the Torah gives multiple structures for for that. There's the damages to the person. There's the loss of work. There's the uh, there's the uh, um, medical bills, as well as uh, as we'll see the the um, the injury itself. Elsewhere, the Torah tells us about the shame that that is caused, the emotional pain that is caused, that that too has a, a, a punitive damages that one would have to pay. But here, the Torah says the responsibility of someone who who injures someone else, and the, and and here the Torah is teaching that you have to take responsibility for your actions, although these you know this was a spur of the moment, this was something that was I was antagonized. You have to take responsibility for your actions. The the injury to someone else is your responsibility. And the Torah throws in something, uh, and you shall surely heal him. And the Talmud says, the Gemara says, From here, we have permission for a doctor to heal. And a lot has been said about what is the meaning here. Some take it to mean that Perhaps one would have thought that you have no right to heal an ailment. Uh, leave that to the healer of uh, of, of, of all beings. We had a couple of weeks ago, Hashem promises if you live up to the Torah, the mitzvah, then all the, uh, uh, all the ailments that came out to Mitzrayim, uh, I shall not bring on to you. Because I am Hashem, that he, your healer. So perhaps here as well, uh, it, yeah, I, um, it, you know, somebody's injured, somebody has a wound or an injury or something, Hashem should heal. And the Torah says, no, that's not our way. Our way is that you have to take, um, uh, you, you have to take your, your responsibility of, of doing your part in being healthy and keeping uh, yourself and society healthy. And if you cause somebody else injury, to then take responsibility for that. So others say that the the, the meaning here is that a, a, a doctor is allowed to charge for their healing. It may be, right, we could think that, look, life-saving, uh, uh, saving a life is an obligation. If you have the ability to save a life, you must do so. And so if you know how to save a life, how can you charge someone for it? Here, the Torah gives that uh, uh, ability, as the Torah is clearly stating, that the person has to pay for the medical bills. Either either way, the concept here is again a societal norm of that we must we must uh, uh, take our own care into our hands. Obviously, we recognize the 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 uh, uh, providence, the hashgacha from Hakadosh Baruch Hu in our uh, in, in our lives that that brings us bracha and gives success to the uh, to uh, uh, doctors and to the medicine that we take as the Rambam, great physician uh, uh, you know, had the famous uh, prayer to feel the Rambam that he has for a doctor to say that you know let my let my the, the work of my hands be successful it is through you Hashem but we must do our part we must act and 
that even though it is a communal obligation, it is also uh, uh, to care for each other, it is also an obligation of those receiving the medicine to pay and to sustain the, the, the practice of medicine, to allow it to, to be there uh, for everyone. So uh, uh, very interesting ideas of the social obligations to each other and uh, responsibility for each other. The, uh, the, the next section has, is well known and misrepresented. And so I think it, 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 uh, it needs a few moments. Verse 22 through 25. If people are fighting and they, somebody strikes a pregnant woman and uh, she loses the pregnancy. So they, they, there is punitive damages. If uh, there is um, also if there is someone dies unintentionally, not the person that they were going after, it's a form of uh, uh, manslaughter. Then there's uh, punitive damages again uh, for for the unintended uh, murder. And there it says nefesh venasata, and you will give. Nefesh tachas nefesh, a soul to replace the soul, tachas nefesh. Now, there, since you're giving, it is clear that it is a it is financial giving. You're paying for the value of that soul. The punitive damages of these. Now, there obviously is no value to a human being, so that's the punitive means only. You cannot give a soul, but you can give the replacement of that soul, the loss to that family. And then it says an eye, the replacement of an eye, a tooth, the replacement of a tooth, yad, a hand, the replacement of a hand. It is translated usually to be an eye for an eye, but that's not what it says. The Hebrew does not say ayin be'ayin or ayin la'ayin. It says, ayin tachas ayin, the replacement. Now, clearly, it does not mean you cut off one person's hand to replace the others, because that's not a replacement. And as the Gemara says, and Rambam writes, it never was there a Jewish court that ruled an eye for an eye. The Torah never meant that, and it was never said to be that. And their Gemara in in Babakama has a list of proofs from the Torah that it does not mean uh, um, it, it, it does it never meant it was never meant to mean that rather it's it, it, it always meant like the verse beforehand that means nefesh tachas nefesh but there it says venasata and you will give it's clearly about a payment a statement a, a, a a, 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 a giving over by hand of uh, the, the payment. So the context is clear here and clear in the other places that Torah says is that it does not mean and never meant uh, the, the, uh, the giving of uh, you know, the loss of an eye to, you know, in, as, as a punishment for losing an eye, etc. So it's just a mistranslation, it never meant that. Um, nevertheless, Sephardim and others ask, "Why did the Torah say it in a way that seems 
that could at least be misinterpreted that way. But it seems like that this is in the replacement of that eye. I should just say pay for the damages of the eye, pay punitive damages for the loss of the eye. And that, as Safarna says, is to tell you that in reality, you have forfeited your right to that which you've taken from someone else. And that's a very powerful idea about uh, the responsibility we have to others. That we forfeit our right to what we have when we take that or damage someone else's. We take it for granted um, that we live in a society that people are, are constantly taking. I don't know if it was better in other societies or in other eras, um, because I didn't live that. But uh, I, I have a sense, because I've seen it in different places. I lived in Yerushalayim, uh, in smaller communities, where there is a sense of communal obligation to each other, where even though I have my own shops and I have my own business and I have my own things that we do see, uh, we do see the value of while I take care of myself to make sure that others are taken care of as well. But I, I think society has, has come to a place that for the most part, it's survival of the fittest. And, and we try and take more than we're willing to help others succeed. And that's, uh, and that's uh, important to, to recognize that when we take from someone else, when we destroy something that belongs to someone else that someone else has, we could be forfeiting our own rights to that very thing. This is a, a powerful reminder of that responsibility. Somebody asked a question. Let me just see what it said. Um, so, yeah, so the question is, how do we assess any of these things? How do you assess the value of an eye? So it's, it's not only the value of the surgery, because that's separate, because the Torah says already had said, you have to pay for the medical bills. And it's not only the loss of work, because that's already uh, uh, there in, in uh, verse 19, rakshiv to yitain. You have to give the loss of work as well. There's, uh, uh, there's an, a punitive assessment of sort of the value of what, that, uh, uh, what a person would, uh, could produce in their life and what they, uh, you know, we have assessments like that as well, you know, when there's a, you know, a wrongful death suit, right? So how do we come up with the numbers? Right? There's, so the Gemara gives some certain uh, ways to to look at it, and the Gemara struggles with that as well. One way, another way. Um, uh, say, for instance, if somebody caught, causes someone the uh, the loss of an arm, you know, the Gemara suggests perhaps what an equivalent person would be willing to take uh, as a, in in such a de an injury. Um, but it's it's hard for people to assess anything like that. So it's not an easy assessment, and and, and I'm sure uh, you're, you're you know in 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 today's jurisprudence we have the same thing. We have civil suits over over uh, you know uh, um, you know a wrongful death or 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 injuries um, from from 
from uh, something that that, that whether a car accident was anything else, and you, and and those are assessed at um, you know, try and assess it based on what potential that person was and what they did, and 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 uh, uh, the pain and suffering and so on. It's not an easy assessment, um, but the idea is that a person is, is should recognize that that they have they have taken something of such an intrinsic value of someone else that in a certain sense they have um, they have forfeited their right to 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 the benefit of their own such usage and then they have to redeem that the uh, Torah continues with the obligations of one's possessions and one actions so if you own an animal and your animal um, injures uh, or destroys, whether it injures someone, uh, someone else's animal or injures someone else's property or injures someone else as a, another person, that responsibility, again, belongs to you. It is our responsibility to take care of that which is ours. And the Torah adds, even if it's not an animal, not something that actually belongs to us financially, but it's something that we've done, whether it's making a hole in the ground uh, or digging and then somebody uh, or something falls into there, whether it's a, uh, um, uh, uh, a fire that we start or our animals are let loose and destroy someone else's field. So the, um, including that is theft. If we, uh, if we catch someone who has stolen, so then they pay back uh, double what they took. That's the, the punitive penalty for, for stealing. And if they then destroyed that which they stole, then there's a four or five time punitive penalty. And in the midst of talking about theft, the Torah then also puts in the, the right of someone to defend themselves when uh, are when somebody is armed coming in to their home where they have right where they have a reasonable uh, uh, right to fear for their own life um, that's at the beginning of chapter 22. the torah then goes into a, an interesting uh, responsibility we have to each other and responsibility we have to protection of someone else's property in verse uh, in chapter 22, verse 6, 7, um, and uh, you know, through 9, 12, really the, uh, the um, uh, 14 actually, the, uh, there are four levels or four types of responsibility that you have to take for someone else's property. Shomer Chino, someone who, who is protecting or watching someone else's property for free just as a friend. And their and their responsibility for negligence. Then a paid custodian, someone who is being who gets a benefit for watching someone else's uh, property, that they are responsible even for theft and loss. Um, someone who rents, uh, and someone who borrows. Who, uh, if someone borrows, they're responsible for anything that happens unless it was used in the typical way and the normal way that it was used. The, in, included in, in this is um, the Torah says if somebody were to take an oath that they did not misuse, 
that which they were protecting or watching or a custodian over. And it turns out that they did. Uh, either they stole the item or misused the item, but they would, uh, um, they would have to uh, also repay double of what it is they took and be responsible for that which was taken. So it went from the responsibility to other humans and responsibility for our actions to the pain and suffering and injury to other humans to the responsibility to others through our actions, our possessions actions, and our responsibility to other people's possessions. Uh, here, the Torah takes a, a, um, a shift in our responsibility to social um, to social protection and to social uh, um, to a society that is elevated and and uh, proper. Verse fifteen talks about um, statutory rape, the the liability of someone to pay um, for for the pain and suffering of statutory rape and uh, the responsibility to that uh, young girl as well and um, again this is about about protecting the vulnerable in this in the society as well as holding people responsible for their actions even where it, it would seem uh, you know consenting but that doesn't count as consent on account of um, uh, the the age of that of that child the next, the next two uh, verses seem juxtaposed oddly, and they deal with machashefa, a sorceress or sorcery, and bestiality. The juxtaposition is is uh, somewhat telling, and this comes into the question that uh, uh, Kathy and Chris had asked previously, just to talk a little bit about the concept of sorcery magic black magic in uh, from the torah's perspective so there's a, a great discussion between rambam and ramban rambam says that there is no such thing as magic at all ramban says that there is a concept of magic try to address both opinions but i want to talk a little bit about just uh, a perspective of how to see what's going on and what it means so you know uh, I, every one of my children has had the uh, great opportunity of having the homework of adding, uh, of creating a volcano, right? So how do you create a volcano at home? You all know this, right? You create the, the, the mountain out of paper mache or whatever it may be. And then you take a liquid that we could call, I don't know, water. You take a white powder, maybe we'd call it salt or lime back when five six seven eight hundred years ago and we combine them and it just blows up right so if you don't know what substances you have and you don't know how they negatively interact with something else that looks like magic so Ravenna Bachye um Ibn Pekuda Bachye Ibn Pekuda um 11th 12th century in uh, Alsace and in, 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 in province in uh, France says, if we understand 
the nature of the world. We have to appreciate that there are many things in nature of the world that were meant to go together and many things that are meant not to go together. And when they go together, they become destructive, altering in a way that's, that's, that's inappropriate. Can they go together? Yes. Do we always immediately see the, the, the destruction it brings? No. But that's the nature of it. it, it it's, it's destructive by its very nature. We can understand that physically. We can understand that two components, when they come together, that's what they do. That's how they interact. Whether it's uh, uh, you know, creating um, a steam by putting saline onto a magnesium pad, and that's the way you create you know, these self-heating meals, right? So that's a good use of two components that don't necessarily mix well together, but because they you've mixed them and utilize it, that's a constructive thing. But I can do the same thing where it becomes destructive, where it becomes explosive, becomes negative. When somebody, uh, uh, so Rambam understands that's all that's going on in, in black magic, in sorcery. It's just tapping into understanding nature to the degree that those around you don't and manipulating it in a way that can be destructive or constructive. And by doing that, it's like, voila, look at me. I'm the most powerful sorcerer because I can make this volcano happen, you know, just by adding water and, uh, you know, lime dust, right? I don't have to tell you what the substances are. And it looks like that. Or I can be constructive by creating, you know, heating the food by just pouring water onto a pad and it happens to be you know saline on magnesium pad right and the 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 idea is utilizing nature uh either to to destroy or to build ramban nachmanides a generation or two after rambam in also from spain uh, um, more 12th century, late 12th century. So Ramban says that just as we understand that there are very tangible physical things that are negatively, interact negatively, there are less tangible things that also by nature would uh, um, interact in ways that we cannot necessarily see. So from a, a, from a, a, a purely scientific physical way physicists you know uh, we would say in quantum mechanics if you connect uh, two two uh, uh, atoms uh, you know two uh, protons and I they have them spinning one way and then I uh, uh, separate them one is uh, the other you know halfway around the world and I turn and I change the the rotation of the one here it's it's yeah connected. Uh, one uh, halfway around the world will also change its direction, right? So I don't know anything about uh, quantum mechanics, but that's the way it works, as it were. And um, uh, so if I can manipulate things that, you know, at that distance or change things in that way, that uh, uh, that is sorcery magic. I'm manipulating the world to affect things myself. In a modern way, 
in, in modern time questions, we would have the understanding of, of uh, usage of um, uh, cloning, right? The dangers of cloning would be inappropriate if we're using it in a destructive way or even though it may look constructive, but we don't know what the outcome is. And so that would be destructive. And then if we try and, and, and manipulate the world, but in a constructive way, because we want to grow a heart from, you know, in a lab or, or to, to, to regenerate um, uh, certain, certain blood cells or cells to, to heal people in, from certain ailments, we understand that that's a good thing. And so that's, the idea of uh, building from the world or utilizing the nature, or utilizing the nature within the world to be destructive. And Ramban says that this is true on a spiritual level, even more than a physical level. So on, in physics, we can sometimes see directly what it is we're doing. But when we play with things that are metaphysical, such as we think the value of, of cloning a human or the destruction of cloning human, that's not only a physical question. That's where this, uh, uh, um, uh, where this prohibition would, would step in, would, would become relevant. So the idea of mechashefa, of understanding the manipulations within, within the structure of the world. And these commentators say that's the, that's the juxtaposition why Mechashefa Kishuf, uh, sorcery, is placed right near, uh, uh, or immediately what follows after is bestiality. Because the understanding that that's just the inappropriate, the, a, a, a dangerous and wrong um, combination of utilizing aspects of nature in a way that, that, that ought not be there. The, uh, the next halachas deal with those that are in society but are most uh, most easily or most likely to be taken advantage of. The foreigner, uh, the Torah says, do not lotono v'lotachatzeno. Don't uh, oppress them, but even, even more, the Torah says, don't even offend them with your words. Very a, a, a very high bar to keep people the sensitivity, and we talked about this last week by Yisrael, the sensitivity to how my words can affect ne negatively someone else and, and to cause them pain and to be careful of the people that are most vulnerable, whether it's the foreigner in, in Pasuk Chaf in verse 20, or Almanav Yasim Latano in 21, a widow and an orphan. And the Torah says, I will hear their, their pain. I will respond to their pain. Verse 24 is a, another level of responsibility, of social responsibility to each other. If you were to lend money uh, to my nation, the, Torah, uh, the Gemara says this is one of the places where if is an obligation. And it only says it in if because not everybody can afford to lend. But Everybody has the responsibility of lending uh, to, to, to take care of ani imach, that the poor person should be with you. 
elevated to your status, to your level, to be kept afloat together with you. And to do so, you must lend money. And as you would for to, to someone who is your own flesh and blood, you must do so without charging uh, interest. Now, although that's a loss, there's a loss in lending money because my money has potential growth. And my money, and in your hands, there's a potential loss. I may never see it again. Nevertheless, that's how we keep each other afloat. That's the responsibility we have to each other. Very uh, powerful thing. The Torah t- takes it one step further. And when you take care of your the, the poor amongst you by lending them, so you're going to take a lateral, you're going to take something from their home and say, okay, here's what I'm going to hold of yours until you repay it. In Chavotach Bolsamas Reacha, verse 25, it's so you're going to take their clothing or you're going to take an item. They're poor. They don't have much. So what are you going to take from them? Their pillow? Make sure to give it back at night because that's the only pillow they have. They need it. So what are you going to take? You're going to take uh, one of the, maybe their coat overnight. Make sure to get, bring it back to them in the morning and you'll take the pillow again. That's the responsibility of taking care of someone that you need, you need collateral, but you also have to make sure that their dignity and what they need to live is maintained. Uh, it, it's a, it, it's a responsibility that the Torah wants us to understand. So taken all together in the midst of the giving of the Torah, an entire structure of social laws, of our responsibility to ourselves, our responsibility to each other, our responsibility to those that are most vulnerable, our responsibility to those that have actually done wrong, to give them a chance to elevate themselves and redeem themselves, and to treat each person regardless of what level they're at in societal um, uh, um, hierarchies, if you would to give each person the dignity within there and the and that protection within there. And that protection is the next section, which is the political structure that has to be built upon ethics of, of care and kindness to everybody. And But it requires the understanding that where it all comes from is from Hashem. And, and the, the first mitzvah or the first recognition in verse 27 is don't curse God. And this is the idea that if we have to, we have to understand that there are things that even when we're frustrated, there's something greater than me that I must be able to, to, to live within that structure. When, when there is no um, hierarchy, when everything's equal, things fall apart because people have differences of opinion and people have different uh, different directions they want to go. So if we don't have somewhere to look to that ultimately we decide this is how we're going to, to, to settle it, the result is that it, le- it leads to chaos and often the worst elements become the, become the head. The worst elements are the ones that become the leaders. And, and so, Elohim Lusakalit, don't curse that which the Torah has given us. Don't curse Hashem. And Nasi Ba'am Chalotar, even the leader in your community. And here's a very powerful thing, because if we're going to have a social structure that will work, 
then we have to agree to, to work within that structure. Uh, the the, the uh, legitimate claims of the French Revolution led to, to what it led, right? We understand that there are the, the um, some things, even if we disagree with it, remain uh, important as a structure to maintain. And we have to, within that structure, create the, 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 the uh, advancement and betterment of, uh, uh, of the people and each individual. And that's the, the, this idea of the political structure that you cannot curse the leader Rather, you have to affect the change from within, which means your own responsibilities to the people within the structure. That's verse 28, your responsibilities to your obligations. And the care, all the way down to the care of the lowest. And here, it's interesting that the Torah puts in the responsibility to kindness to an animal right in there. And so too to your animals. That's the idea that the structure has to go from the top, a respect for that, all the way down to the lowest. Everything has to work in a system that's responsible and caring. And so uh, 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 this this um, mitzvah is there. And then the next is our responsibility to self. And you shall be yourself people of holiness. And as a as a uh, a concrete way of, of living in holiness. Uh, don't eat uh, terefa, which is the idea of roadkill animal that that is 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 ill, sickly, and dying. These three verses teach us the responsibility to uh, the the respect within the society, to to protection of all aspects of society, and to be the to the holiness and dignity of self. Verse uh, chapter twenty three begins. Kaf Gimel begins with the responsibility or the obligations of 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 righteousness to be upheld by by um, the leaders. There, uh, uh, don't join up with evil people to be leaders. Follow majority rule. Um, uh, so take into account even the poor, but don't bend the law on behalf of the poor or against the poor. Even those that are not your friend, uh, you have to protect their animals and help them out, which is verses four and five. Uh, and, and stay away from anything false. Remain distant from anything false. Uh, and and don't take bribes in uh, in the societal structure. Make sure to protect the foreigner, the ger. You understand more than anyone else the soul of the ger. Make sure that they are uh, protected. And the next two psukim, the next two structures are the six years of the land and the seventh year fallow and the six days of Shab of work and the Shabbos resting. That shows up elsewhere in the Torah. But if we look at these two psukim, here it comes up in the in a manner of protecting the 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 poor and the workers. It doesn't say it so much for your obligation 
but rather, as you look in, in verse 11, so that this way you can allow the poor to have access to, to, to real property, to the fields. And you will work six days and rest on the seventh so that your animals and your servants and, your, and the foreigner can rest uh, as well. So here, it's not because of Shabbos for the sake of Shabbos and, and, and Shemitah, the seventh fallow year for the sake of Shemitah, but for the sake of those in your society that are poor and needed. And then it goes into the obligations of society to Hashem and to the spiritual side, which is the, the holidays of Chagim, the, the, uh, um, and, uh, go, the obligation of the pilgrimage going up to Yerushalayim, and the uh, obligations of bringing of the first fruit and of the carbon. And in that structure is do not mix milk and meat. Um, this comes up three times in Torah. Hopefully next time we'll have time to address that. But it's interesting. And it, it, both times, but two out of the three times, it shows up in this context, in the context of the Chagim and our obligations of, of our first fruit and obligations to the spiritual, social, side of our of our community i want to in the last few minutes just get to the uh, uh, the next section after shishi the sixth aliyah hashem says he and this is verse 20 chapter 23 i'm gonna i'm sending an angel to lead you a presence of the divine amongst you to be your guide and and, and you have to understand that Shmi Bekirba, that within the structure of the guidance of Am Yisrael, there is a presence of my name is within them. It means that there's the presence, the essence of, of our relationship with Hashem is, is in that guidance that Hashem brings us. And, and as a result of our service of Hashem, of, of our relationship with Hashem within that, verse 25, you will serve Hashem your God, who will bless your bread and your water, remove any ailment from uh, amongst us. This is the blessing of living within the recognition that there is a divine providence, there is a divine hashgacha and a guidance within our life. 26 through, through 33 takes it one step further. It says that, in verse 26, the count of your days I will fill. What a tremendous blessing to have the, our days filled and counting and valuable, to be able to have every day of our life count and be meaningful and be uh, a, 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 a meaningful, a, a purposeful living and to be fulfilled in that. And, and as a result of that, if you're able to live that way, the bracha is going to bring more bracha, the, the, uh, the complete dwelling within the land of Eretz Yisrael all the way up to the, uh, to the complete borders of the land. So that's the section through 33. Chapter 30, uh, 24 goes back to the giving of, of, of Sinai. Here we have the famous words, of Na'asevanishma, uh, I will in verse seven. Uh, it says over there, Vayikach Sefer Habris took the scroll of the covenant. This is the first uh, mention of the Torah being written, and then this scroll, 
and read it to the uh, to the people. And the people said, um, uh, "We will do." And then they said, "We will listen." The uh, the commitment to do, even before they have heard all the obligation, the recognition of the value and the relationship with Hashem, so solidified that there is a commitment to do even before uh, receiving. Uh, all the commandments. The next section of uh, um, verses um, uh, 9, 10, and 11 are cryptic at least, but it does mention the recognition of sapphire as the foothold uh, uh, um, uh, or the footstool of Hashem and, re- and seeing that. And if we can just for a moment see that the, the sapphire is this clear stone of blue which represents the, the, the heavens, our, our recognition that Hashem in the heaven is guiding, is, is amongst us and, and our actions are a result of that relationship. Verse 12 is the last I, I want to point out because I think this is crucial to understanding the Torah. Vayomer Hashem al-Moshe, this is in 20, chapter 24, verse 12. Vayomer Hashem al-Moshe, Hashem says to Moshe, Alei Eli, come up to me. Hahara to the mountain, and you shall be there. And I shall give to you, as the stones of tablet, and the Torah, and the mitzvah, which I have written as for, for teaching, for teaching them. Now, this is a lot of words, but we have to make sense of it. Hashem says to Moshe, come up to the mountain, and there I will give to you the tablets of stone. We understand that. That's the Aseros Hadibros, what we call the Ten Commandments, the Ten Statements from Hashem that were uh, we learned last week that were given on Sinai. That's the, the tablets of stone. The Torah. What's that? And the Torah. So we understand that's the written word. The HaMitzvah. And the Mitzvah. How is that different than the Torah? That is included in the Torah, is it not? And then it says, which I have written for their, to teach them. Yeah. In order to teach them. What does that mean? Here the Torah tells us the structure of the Torah. There are the Ten Commandments. There is the Aseros Adibros. There is the written Torah, Vaha Torah. But you cannot act from the Torah. The Torah itself will not give you a, a, a sufficient information to know how to do the mitzvah. That's separate. That's the oral Torah, which tells you how to interpret and, and to act on every single one of the verses of the Torah. That's Vaha mitzvah and the commandment, the oral Torah. And the Torah says, so then why is there a written Torah? Asher kasavti, that which I have written, lahorosam, that's a teaching tool. It's the shorthand of the mitzvah. So in the it says in the Torah, and you shall write it on your doorpost. What does that mean? It doesn't give you all the details. You write it on a parchment with black ink on uh, on high uh, on leather, right? On a piece of parchment. What shall you write? The Shema and the Vahavta. And you put it on the doorpost. Which doorpost? The right one on your entryway. Where? third of the way from the top. That 
Um, that's the mitzvah that's not written in the Torah. But the Torah is written in a way that it is a tool for the mitzvah. It's written so that it is a teaching tool for the mitzvah, that from there you have the rest of the mitzvah, but the information is not in the mitzvah itself. The, the Torah is, the written Torah is, uh, 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 without the oral Torah, the written Torah is a meaningless text. The Rabbi, only, the oh, only way, one second, the only way to access the text itself is through the ha-mitzvah. And they come together, they were taught together. Yes, Spencer. Um, I, uh, w- two things. One is a question, one is an interesting analogy that I heard that the written in the oral Torah that it's like when you go to a lecture in a high school or a college classroom, the written Torah is the equivalent of the PowerPoint slides and the oral part is what the teacher is saying. So, you know, you take down your bullet points, but obviously there's more to unpack amongst each bullet point. Um, right, and that's what would be the term of the end of this, uh, what it says at the end of this passage, Asher Kasavti, that which I wrote, Lahorosam, is to teach them. That's the teaching tool. Very, very accurate to this verse itself, correct. And then a quick question. Oh, I don't know if it's a quick question, but what would be the reasoning why if the oral Torah is just as important, if not maybe even more important than the written Torah, why wasn't it written? What, what's the benefit of, was, is it too long to have to have for God or Moshe to write it down? Uh, uh, the, the purpose, well, it is a long question, uh, but in short, the purpose of the Torah is for teaching. Uh, if you can just pick up a book and read it, then, then it's not Torah, then it's not actual teaching. Uh, teaching comes from a teacher to a student. So you need to have the teaching structure, uh, but you need the instructor with it. And that relationship between teacher and student, between passing it on from uh, uh, from one generation to the next, midor lador, from to be able to tell that and to check in with the elders, ask your elders and they will tell you, and listen to the uh, discipline of your mother and the teaching of your father, that, though, that requires that there's actually an, a, a story, a, 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 a oral statement from one person to the next. Now, it has to be done in a way that can be maintained in its integrity, but the value of having that direct teaching is indispensable, and that's why the Torah is. That's one of the reasons the Torah is written, uh, structured in such a way. Thank Miriam, you. you want to say something? Yes, thank yeah. you, Rabbi. I know we're over time, but I'm really. So how how does this fit in with free will? Because the oral Torah has minority opinions, it has contradictions and discussions and arguments, and we've adapted a halakha from it, but. How can we say that it was all predetermined what the halakha would be? So I, I, just in short, uh, almost uh, almost all the things that pertain to the Torah obligations have no machlokas, almost entirely. Almost all the things you know of machlokas and adaptation and so on are on rabbinic matters. Uh, in, in, in the Torah interpretations itself, in the Torah mitzvah, uh, there's uh, little to no uh, uh, machlokas. So 
those aspects are are not in the in, in the Torah itself, but in the obligation that we have in every generation to make our society fit so that we can live by Torah. And so, uh, you know, many of the things that you know uh, that we're all so accustomed to are actually not Torah obligations. So for instance, uh, candle lighting for, for Shabbos, uh, two breads, Lecha Mishnah, Kiddush on a cup of wine. So the statement of Kiddush is a Torah obligation, but Kiddush over a cup of wine isn't. And the bracha isn't. And and Birkat uh, uh, benching isn't. There's an obligation to, to, to say blessing, but the, 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 the words of the blessing aren't. So, so much of the structure we have is rabbinic in nature, and that's the development in time of the needs to maintain the structure of what we have. Uh, it's obviously a much bigger conversation and we, you know, probably worthy of its own, uh, uh, worthy of its own uh, classes, really a series of classes on on, uh, uh, understanding the Orisa, the Rabbanan, biblical and rabbinic law and and its need and structure. Um, The free free will, yeah, (laughs) yes, I I, I should do it. the, the free will aspect is our ability to, is our free will to live up to that. Whether it's rabbinic or Torah, our, the free will is, our, is ours to live up to whatever it is that we're going to be doing. Uh, and those are the struggles we all have on a given day. I mean, we make choices and we make commitments and then we live up to some on, you know, better and some worse. And that's the free will. And then we also, the free will is what we choose to do, right? We choose to make some obligations for ourselves and, and choose not to take some, uh, take others. Uh, the, that's the free will within there. Uh, the, the, the rest is really a, a, a commentary on that. Um, so Rabbi, um, from the Ramban's point of view, would we be looking at um, Pharaoh's magicians as like Ben and Teller? Like illusionists. Illusionists. Would they yes. Ramam says it's essentially illusions. And uh, somebody wrote the, this earlier. Uh, any sufficient advancement in technology is indistinguishable from, ma- from magic. Um, so, the Pharaoh's musicians were not operating in any kind of above nature reality. They according were- to Maimonides, according to Rambam. Ramban just- says they were utilizing some, just as there's a physical ability to manipulate nature. There's a metaphysical ability to manipulate the metaphysics of nature. Okay, I don't understand that, but... <laughs> well, we have to understand metaphysics to be able to understand that. But I don't understand metaphysics. <laughs> right. So, but Moses was, was, was operating, and uh, Moses and Aaron were operating in an above-nature reality because of Hashem, but the magicians were not. That's the, that's the Ramam's way. And what's your, what do you say? I say that I'm clueless. <laughs> so am I. <laughs> Thank uh, you. So we're in good company. <laughs> okay. Good Thank night, you, everyone. Rabbi. Thank That's you so much, job. Rabbi Fisher. Thank you, Rabbi. Good night. Thank you. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.